Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Radio New Zealand's web-only sports programme Extra Time. I'm Joe Porter. In the programme this week we speak to Team New Zealand boss Grant Dalton about the controversial axing of Dean Barker as skipper and helmsman and we hear from a devastated Barker about his shock dumping. We preview the Black Caps' highly anticipated Cricket World Cup match against Australia at Eden Park. We catch up with golfer Lydia Coe's former coach Guy Wilson to discuss the sacrifices the world number one has made to play at this week's New Zealand Open and to talk about the 12-year-old sensation Bojan Park who's following in Coe's footsteps. We hear from the New Zealand Breakers basketballers as they begin their NBL Finals campaign chasing a fourth title. We talk to the Silver Ferns netballers Katrina Grant and Casey Corpua ahead of the first weekend of the Trans-Tasman netball competition and we chat to the former Wellington Phoenix and English Premier League forward Paul Eiffel who's called time on his professional football career. The dumped helmsman Dean Barker has all but said he wants no further involvement with Team New Zealand. The deposed America's Cup skipper has hit out at team management, including the syndicate boss Grant Dalton, saying he's gutted by the way he's been treated. Following a week of intense media speculation, the team confirmed that Barker would be replaced as skipper and helmsman by Peter Burling and Glenn Ashby. Barker is being offered a role as performance coach. Barker is hurt and angry. No one spoke to him before issuing Thursday's media statement. Statement. I am absolutely gutted in the way that I've been treated by you know, Team New Zealand and the management um, uh, in this whole process. It's just, it's been incredibly difficult to, uh, to understand. Barker was then asked how he could continue to work with Dalton and the team after this treatment. It's incredibly difficult to see now um, what the next step is. You know, it, uh, you know, it's an hour ago I read the... the um, media release from Team New Zealand, so you know, I need, uh, I need, you know, I'm going to need some time to assess what my options are, but you know, it's certainly clear um, now that um, I know that I have been dumped from the sailing role, um, sailing director role, that you know, I have to seriously consider what my options are. Radio New Zealand's America's Cup correspondent Todd Niles spoke to Dalton about Barker's removal and the surrounding controversy. After San Francisco, we had to do a full review of the organisation, as you would expect. 8-1 and we lost the America's Cup. Um, we started discussing roles in November last year. Uh, one of those roles, and identified by the review that we did here, was that we believe really the, the jump up in Oracle's performance was through a group of people uh, that were watching us and learning how we were sailing, and they transferred that into Oracle. So. The net result of that is that this, and identified by Dean, was that this this role in performance, a role that we haven't used before here or had before, a performance and coach was identified and we've offered that to Dean. We think 
merging the sort of skills in design and, and the knowledge of the boat and how to sail the boat, you merge those two skills, he's the perfect guy for the job. Has he known for a while that that would come his way rather than being helmsman? The need to reduce our budgets by some $20 million, which really everybody in this place, without exception, has taken significant pay cuts, that we had to drop out a helmsman uh, and see this as the perfect role for him going forward in his future. So is it that you can't afford him? No, 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 not at all. Um, um, but, but, you know, th- we don't have three boats to steer for a start. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that, that these, these high-performance boats, um, I'm going to use a, a fighter pilot as an example, they lend themselves to this in, uh, very intuitive-type uh, way of sailing. And um, Dean's got amazing credentials. He, when he crosses you put that form across from you know sailing to design, and and that's a unique skill. Uh, but it's undeniable <clears throat> the success and the skill of Peter, people like um, Glenn Ashby, 15, 15 times world champion. I mean, fifteen, and and obviously the coming force, Peter Burling. The fact that there's been a rather untidy leak, and the fact that he seems to be still considering it, is that a bad sign for his future in the team? No. Well, I mean. Untidy, yes, uh, but certainly not for his future within this organisation. Uh, we hope he takes the offer and he stays. What is the state of the team in terms of spirit, readiness, budget and so on? Because there's been a lot of talk about, you know, it seems to be coming apart, that kind of stuff. Well, certainly since San Francisco to this day is a long time and we had to stay afloat, as we did in 2007 after... Uh, Bertarelli and Larry Ellison decided to fight with each other for three years in court and we've done that, we've done it again we've kept this place together with 40 guys working part time uh, but keeping progress going uh, and we've spent a, you know, a considerable sum of money doing that of which Dean's been very much a part of so now come Monday come Monday this place goes full time this place goes on the path as of Monday towards the next America's Cup and uh, we had a working bee here yesterday, you know, the guys coming in just to get everything ready. Great spirit. I mean, the, the, the strength of this organisation is its culture. Outwardly is probably right now slightly a different perception than the places inwardly. Inwardly, it's running perfectly. Do you worry about public perception, you know, if with Dean not being at the helm and whatever he decides about his future, has the public, have you lost goodwill with the public over this over the past few weeks? Um, I think I think this has been damaging for sure. You can't get around that fact. Peter Burling, big shoes to step into. Some wonder whether at his age uh, he can do it. Yeah, well, I, there's an assumption which is incorrect, first of all, that, that, uh, that it is definitely Peter Burling driving the boat. If Peter Burling is the right guy to helm the new boat, then he will. But you've got Glenn Ashby, 15 times world champion, um, who's more than capable of doing it. Um, You've got huge, vast experience around uh, the team of Ray Davies, Jeremy Lomaz, Dick Meacham, Winston McFarlane uh, and others that have got multiple America's Cups. So, so really we're, we're trying to, and, 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 and we hope, um, Dean, uh, to, to help mentor this process through and work on this performance and this interface with the designers in that way that Oracle did actually so well. We think that's the big difference, not all the Herbies and all those ideas. We think that interface that they had right at the end was their key. Um, and that's why we've identified this role and we think we've identified the right guy for that role. 
So Pete's got a long way to go, but the guy's talented, there's no doubt about that. And he's going to get huge support from this organisation, uh, and hopefully Dean's part of that support. Grant Dalton speaking to Todd Nile. The Chapel Hadley Trophy has been dusted off and for the first time in three years New Zealand and Australia will square off in a one-day cricket match. It also just happens to be a World Cup game too. The match at Eden Park is a sellout with 40,000 people set to attend and the Australians have been taunting Black Cap fans throughout the week telling them to bring on the sledging. Here's our cricket correspondent Stephen Hewson. He's pulled it. It's going fine. It could go all the way. It's four runs. And Pakistan have won the first semi-final at Eden Park. A magnificent... Tomorrow's World Cup match between New Zealand and Australia at Eden Park is probably the most eagerly anticipated cricket match in New Zealand since that 1992 World Cup semi-final loss to Pakistan. It's three years since New Zealand and Australia contested a one-day match. That was at the 2012 Champions Trophy tournament in England, but the match was rained out. There have been plenty of highs and lows for the Black Caps in the intervening period, but they're currently on a five-match winning streak and have won nine of the 11 completed matches they've played this year. While still only at the pool stage of the competition, there's still plenty riding on this game, though. The winner of the pool, which is likely to be New Zealand or Australia, could host a potential trans-Tasman semi-final. Several members of the New Zealand side, all-rounder Corey Anderson among them, haven't played Australia, but he's expecting a barrage, both verbally and with the ball. Yeah, sledging tactics are well known now in the media and you know, it's something that I guess we haven't really involved ourselves in. And we're pretty neutral on the field and we just sort of stick to what we do and um, you know, we'll be expecting a little bit of heat from them but I guess it's just part of their game plan and um, it's, it's going to be definitely the biggest game in my career um, and same for a lot of other guys as well. Australia's aggressive opening batsman David Warner's never short of a word on the field. He missed the washed-out match between New Zealand and Australia and England three years ago, having been stood down from the side after getting involved in a punch-up with English batsman Joe Root in a pub in the lead-up to the match. Warner says he's ready for whatever the Eden Park crowd may throw at him. I hope they come out and bill us and give us crap like they always do. That's, you know, we love that. Yeah. We love it. It gets us up and going. And uh, you get some, some obscure swear words and um, you know, a couple of things thrown at you, but that's... You know, it's what you expect when you come here, you know, it's, it's happened before, I embrace it, you know, they can give it to me as much as they want, I'll just let my back do the talking. The Black Cabs coach Mike Hessen says they won't be getting into a war of words with the Australians. Hessen says they're used to coming up against sides who have plenty to say, but he hasn't instigated a no-sledging rule. We're pretty respectful of our opposition, um, and we, uh, we're competitive, but... Um, you know, we, we pretty much focus on our own job. We deal with plenty of sides that, um, you know, provide that um, and we just tend to go about our work. We don't get too caught, caught up in that sort of stuff. For Australia, it must seem as if their World Cup's yet to get underway. Their first and only game so far was two weeks ago. Their second match against Bangladesh and Brisbane was washed out. New Zealand have won all three of their matches so far and are coming off a comprehensive win over England. But Hessen is confident his side's not getting sidetracked by any World Cup hype. Our guys can read, and they, you know, they'll read the paper sometimes. Some of them more than others, but um, we're a pretty grounded group. We just get on with doing the best we can every day, and um, if we have a bad day, then hopefully we can, you know, scrub up and come back the next day. For the first time in four years, the Chapel Hadley Trophy's up for grabs too. The trophy was introduced in 2004 and recognises the contribution the two families have made to cricket in their respective countries. Sir Richard Hadley says he's pleased the trophy's on the line. 
but he's not so sure about the constant reminiscing about the 1992 World Cup. The game's moved on from 92 and I think to keep reminiscing about 92 is not necessarily a good thing to be to be part of. I think what they're doing now, the way they're playing, these lads are, are really probably the best ever New Zealand one-day side that we've put together in World Cup competition. The Black Caps no doubt agree with Sir Richard Hadley. Harking back to 1992 and New Zealand's last World Cup appearance at Eden Park isn't useful for it was the semi-final loss to Pakistan. Tomorrow's 40,000-strong parochial crowd will be hoping there's no repeat of that result, and New Zealand can turn around their recent form at Eden Park, where they've won just one of their last seven completed matches there. What they want is more of this from Brenda McCullum. There he goes again, flat this time, and four more. Six, four, four. More of that would set New Zealand up nicely for the quarterfinals and give them a four-match unbeaten run at the tournament. For Morning Report, Stephen Hewson. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. Golfer Lydia Coe's former coach, Guy Wilson, says the world number one is making multiple sacrifices to play the New Zealand Women's Open in Christchurch this week. Coe is the only golfer in the top ten rankings who'll miss this week's LPGA Tour's Thailand Open, choosing to play at Clearwater instead. Not only does the multi-million dollar prize pool at the Asian tournament dwarf that of the New Zealand Open, but the world rankings points on offer are also substantially larger. This could have an effect on Coe's hold on the number one spot, as well as on the LPGA Tour's season-long points race. I spoke to Wilson about Coe's situation, but first we talked about the latest prodigy to come from his stables, Bojan Park, the 12-year-old future star who's playing in her first New Zealand Open. It's another uh, exciting time for, um, obviously, her and us, and, and probably New Zealand golf, to see that there is not just an opportunity of one um, that's, that's went to those freaky heights that Lydia has done with um, another 12-year-old in the mix. And I know it's really unfair to make comparisons at this early stage, but you've obviously had a little bit to do with her. What What is she like as compared with Lydia at the same stage in terms of golfing prowess? Um, technique, very, very similar. Um, obviously, to be off a plus five handicap at the age of 12, you have to be pretty sound technically. Um, and the ability to put it together um, on, a, on a big stage is, is going to be one of the, the key markers and key milestones that we're looking at. So this week is... It's not only good to see her that she got into the event, but it'll be see, uh, also see how she manages herself in the week. Absolutely. Obviously, golf mentally is it's a massive part of the game, so I guess that's where Lydia really stands out as a 17-year-old that's so level-headed, and I guess that's Park's challenge in the future. Yeah, totally, and that's something that we um, will continue to challenge both you and with, similar to what we did with, with Lydia for all those years, and, and always tested herself. Um, outside of her comfort zone. That way she was comfortable when time comes. Uh, and uh, I guess uh, outside of Bochum's comfort zone, we'll be playing with and against Lydia this week. And at 12 years old, this is fairly remarkable. She's playing in the New Zealand Women's Open. Yeah, totally. And I, I guess, um, you know, for me, it doesn't seem remarkable at all. It's just another one of those things that, which we've, we've ticked off. And, um, you know, the outsider looking in probably understand that Lydia's gone through all this as well. And, and whilst... Like you say, we don't want to keep uh, you know, trying to see how she is against Lydia because at the end of the day, I don't think anyone will ever come close to what Lydia's done. But at least we can show that um, you know, when she was young, this is what she was doing. So if you're somewhere near it, then I, you know, I think we'll be pretty, pretty close. Is that going to be one of the hardest things for Bojan growing up as a golfer, is being constantly compared to Lydia and, and the things she achieved at her young age? I, yeah, I, I, in, in that respect, probably yes, it'll be difficult you know, because it always, to somewhat, some degree, 
feel like a bit of a failure if she doesn't achieve the same things. But, um, you know, to be number one of the, uh, you know, top of the world, and if you don't quite make number one, well, two, three, four, and five is pretty cool. So um, these are the things that we're going to be looking at. Um, while she's 12 now, there's going to be a lot of growth in terms of um, maturity in big events, and, and that's what um, we'll be looking forward to over the next few years. And, and that's where we'll really see um, how she does um, compare to Lydia. And just a word on Lydia heading into this tournament. Obviously, she's sort of here for, for heart reasons as much as anything else and wanting to give a little back to New Zealand golf. What do you, how much do you think it would mean for her to win this tournament this year, considering the remarkable success she's had as a pro already? Yeah, I guess she's going to come here with um, the mindset of winning, um, being a, a very small event compared to what's happening everywhere else in the world. Um, she'll be by far the, the best player there, obviously. Um, and obviously, you know, local, but she's always had she's had success there in the past. So winning there a couple of years ago and narrowly coming second or third last year. So um, she's she's not really there for the money at all. Probably just coming back and, and giving a little bit back to New Zealand um, and her supporters. Um, definitely not the prize pool, considering it's you know one tenth the prize of, of what's happening in Thailand at the moment. Um, and and the the world ranking points are substantially less as well. So. Um, I hope that people can sort of see that she is giving back by coming back to New Zealand and, and playing in an event like that, unlike some of the men that um, that don't bother to come back to New Zealand uh, and support them. This hype surrounding Bojan at the moment, obviously, you know, it's a little bit unfair on her, but that's what happens with the media. These stories get carried away somewhat. Look, do you think she has the potential to turn pro at the same age that Lydia did? Uh, it's a good question. I think I think I, you know, her team will learn a lot from this week to see how she performs under all this pressure. Um, yes, totally. Me, you, it's all you guys that are that are making this uh, seem a little bit more than it is, but that's what it was like for Lydia, you know, so it's, it's good to see that we've got a benchmark in terms of um, our team here to see how she plays. In terms of turning pro when she's, you know, 14, 15, who knows, she's got a lot of um, lot of bridges to cross before that happens and a lot of events to, um, to show her true promise as well. So um, time will tell, I guess. But certainly at this point in time, she's on that track, you would think? Yeah, I, I think she's, she's showing enough skill. Um, she's enjoying the game as much as, uh, you know, as she needs to at this point in time. Wilson says funding will be Park's biggest obstacle to success. The Breakers have made a big statement to start the National Basketball League playoffs, beating the Adelaide 36ers 111-82 in Auckland. The home side led from wire to wire to take a 1-0 lead in the best-of-three semi-final series. Adelaide came into Victor Arena on a 10-game winning streak, while the New Zealanders entered the match, having won just two of their last six games. The Breakers coach Dean Vickerman says the intensity from captain Mika Vukona sparked the side early in the game. Ignited the break uh, with the way that he rebounded and busted out, and um, yes, just determined he couldn't wait for this game. You know, he just kind of how he dressed the boys, you know, the other day. Great leadership from him. The Breakers' centre Alex Pledger says even though they hadn't been in great form leading into the playoffs, their experience helped them lift to the next level. We have plenty of guys who have been here before and, and just know what it takes to, to win in the postseason. And like as Dino mentioned earlier with, with Cedric and Micah in particular, they you know they really brought everyone together and took everyone under their wing this week and um, you saw the results out there on the floor. Alex Pledger, Game 2 is in Adelaide on Saturday night.
The Silver Ferns captain Casey Corpua will miss her first Trans-Tasman netball match in over 100 games when the 2015 season begins this weekend. The Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic are away to the Adelaide Thunderbirds in the opening match of the competition on Saturday. Corpua has played all of the Magic's 107 games in the ANZ competition but will miss the first half of the season as she's still recovering from the serious knee injury she suffered in a test against Australia last year. Corpua told Stephen Hewson not being on court for the start of the season has taken some adjustment. It gives me a weird feeling, um, but I've still got that excited, nervous feeling at the same time. And being with the girls and going to Adelaide, is, is, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You haven't got the feeling of, I really want to be out there and frustrated? Oh, yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes, of course I have that. Um, I, you know, I, just, I don't like the fact that I can't help um, or you know, make a difference. Um, so... At the moment, I'm just trying to make a difference off off the court and, you know, help in any way that I can. Uh, what have you actually been involved with, with working them with them? Is it something that you're looking and going, actually, I wouldn't mind a coaching career post-netball? Oh, well, I don't know if I'd go that far. Um, <laughs> but definitely, um, I've been involved, trying to be at every training. Um, initially, obviously, I couldn't, I couldn't be, you know, that involved. Um, but then the more I've become a bit more mobile, the, the more I can get involved. Um, and get out there and pass the ball with them. The Magic have got Adelaide first up. They didn't have a great year last year. What are you expecting of them this time around? Oh, I think they're going to be huge uh, opponents um, on Saturday. They're going to be um, very intense, um, competitive, and you know there will be that, I guess, a little bit of nerves being that first time back out on the court for a lot of the teams. You know, we have a, a few new girls that may be out there as well, so. Um, it's always exciting to get the season underway, um, but obviously we want to come away with the win, and, and so do they. So it's going to be a very um, interesting, but um, a good match. And where are you at injury-wise? How, how far off before you're able to make an appearance, do you hope? <laughs> On the court? Um, I, I honestly, I, do, I can't tell you that because I don't actually know at the moment. Um, I'm still biking and swimming. Haven't tried running yet, um, which is... You know, that's in the next uh, couple of weeks that'll be happening. So I'm just looking forward to that. So you're still what? Maybe the the latter half of the competition. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I can't give you a date or a game, um, but I told the girls that they need to make the semis and finals, so it makes the season longer. So it might give me more opportunity to play. Meanwhile, the perennial underachievers of the Trans-Tasman netball competition, the Wellington-based Pulse, will get an early indication of whether their fortunes will be any different in the 2015 season. The Pulse play the defending champions, the Melbourne Vixens, in their season opener in Melbourne on Sunday. A new competition format has been introduced, with the traditional league ladder being replaced by New Zealand and Australian conference tables. The top three teams from each conference will progress to the finals. The Pulse, in the seven years of the competition so far, have never finished better than fifth and captain Katrina Grant has had enough of poor results. It's probably the um, biggest pre-season we've ever had well since I've been here anyway so yeah first game is um, yeah everyone's looking forward to it. It um, does get to the point where you're kind of just training training like okay I really want a serious game now I want to go out there and actually put some points on the board and yeah you do you do get a bit sick of running around the track. <laughs> pre-season though it has gone well for you hasn't it? it is, how much can you actually take from that though? Yeah, we definitely can't complain about how our pre-season has gone, especially the last weekend against the on the tactics. But yeah, like you say, you can't read too much into pre-season. Everyone's changing their lineups, um, and yeah, a full seven probably aren't on for the full sixty minutes. So you can never read too much into it. But we're definitely taking confidence out of what 
we've seen and what we put out there. What is it that you like this year more than, than previous years? Like I said before, this is the, um, the biggest pre-season we've had and the best pre-season we had. So I feel like we're going into the season with, um, I suppose, more experience, more confidence and just kind of being a bit more prepared than what I feel like we have been in the past, especially with gameplay. So we're not going into the first and second round kind of not really knowing where we're at, who we're going to put on against what teams and things. We kind of know right now what we're going to do. So you're settled on, on a starting lineup. Players know that and what's expected of them. Yeah, pretty much. And um, we're we're pretty lucky in the sense that we've had the strongest be- the strongest bench we've had for a while, and that means that um, in a game, say if a, say the Melbourne Vixens on the weekend come up and um, can counter our attack or whatever, or our defence, we've got people on the bench to come through and actually change our complete completely change our game plan and um, kind of put a bit of doubt into the opposition. Coming up against the Vixens first up, the defending champions. Is that good? Does, is that going to give you a benchmark as to, to how you or where you might be? I think so, and I think it's a chance for us to go to Aussie and play an Aussie style straight up. And we played we played them a couple of weeks ago in pre-season. We did well, but again, that was pre-season. It was in New Zealand. It was in our home court, and that's totally different. But we've, um, yeah, like I said, again, huge confidence from that. And um, if you know, being the reigning champions in the first week and winning in Aussie would be pretty ideal for us. As you look at the season ahead, I mean, who do you do you pick? I mean, do you see the pulse is finally getting to that point where, because it's always sort of almost but not quite, haven't you? Yeah, yeah you get a little bit over the almost but not quite, especially the last couple of years. So definitely this year, it, um, I, it is a different feel this year and we do feel a lot more, um, I don't know, just more prepared, I suppose, if that's the right word for it, going into the season and it's, and I suppose with the conferences now, there's that extra um, extra chance to make the playoffs. Uh, so yeah, finally, finally our year. I'm hoping. Could you take another year like the previous ones? <laughs> no, I actually don't know if I could. <laughs> I just don't know if I could. So here's um, we'll make sure it doesn't happen, eh? So the Vixens are they going to be leading contenders again? Who who are you you're looking at? I think on paper the Swifts, Sydney Swifts look pretty darn good. They've recruited well in the off season. Mystics again on paper looking pretty sharp, but um, yeah, Melbourne. No matter who's in their team, they always seem to have a good core and um, come up with the goods and just are a consistent team. So yeah, you can never, never um, underestimate them. What do you make of the conference setup? I mean, it would seem to to favour the New Zealand teams. Yeah, it definitely does favour the New Zealand teams, as as you know, and everybody else knows. We New Zealand teams haven't always consistently been in the top four. Um, you know, apart from the magic, I think they've been there every year, and um, yeah, it, it does favour us. But I don't think that's a bad thing. It gives us that extra opportunity to get in there, and then hopefully um, do a, have a few upsets. But I think with the conferences and things, it um, will make a lot more a competition within your own country, and then um, hopefully then your country will go for go for you if that makes sense in the final. The Pulse captain and Silver Fern Katrina Grant talking to Stephen Hewson. The former Wellington Phoenix forward Paul Eiffel this week announced his retirement from professional football due to injury. The Barbados International has been unable to fully recover from a ruptured Achilles tendon he sustained while playing for the Phoenix during the 2013-2014 A-League season. Eiffel had recently been appearing for Team Wellington in New Zealand's top flight domestic league with hopes of playing his way back into an A-League contract with the Phoenix. The announcement brings to end a playing career in which he made over 400 professional appearances with the likes of English clubs Chris 
Crystal Palace, Millwall and Sheffield United. During his five seasons in the A-League with the Phoenix, he was twice named the club's Player of the Year and selected in the A-League team of the season. I spoke to Weifel, who says being forced into retirement by injury was a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, um, 17 years of professional, so it's a, it's a good run. But um, I'd like to have gone out on my own terms rather than through injury. Yeah, that might be the most, most frustrating part as a player who feels like he still has a lot to offer and the Achilles being a particularly troublesome injury, just not uh, not cooperating. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's not too bad in training, but you know, when I play a game, it's, I can feel that I can't quite do the same things I used to. It's, it's hard to push off it, it's um, hard to jump, and it's just not as strong as it was. So um, it was a decision that was really taken out of my hands. When did you first realise that perhaps this was the way things were going to go? And did it give you a shock? Did it give you a fright when you came to the realisation that your body just might not be up to it anymore? No, not really. I think because it's been quite long, it's, you know, nearly 14 months, I knew that as the time went by, it was, it was going to be tougher and tougher to come back. So I think you always plan um, for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess looking back on your career in Wellington, the, the years at the Phoenix, you look back with fairly fond memories on your time in, in New Zealand. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's been uh, you know, a great time. Um, probably the best time of my career. I had a good time when I started out at Millwall. Um, and I thought it would be like that through the whole of my career, and it actually wasn't. It was tough at some clubs, but coming back to coming out to Wellington was, was just great. And, and we had a really good couple of seasons, and uh, I'll look back on that with uh, a bit of pride, actually. The way that football has afforded you to be able to travel around the world and see some interesting places must be quite an incredible experience and, and, a, and a gift in some ways. When you were at Millwall and experiencing what you describe here as one of your career highs playing Man United in the FA Cup final, did you ever think that perhaps one day you'd be out in little old Aotearoa? Absolutely not. No, it never crossed my mind at all. And, you know, we look back now and, and, and we won't be going home, you know. This is, this is home now, so... It's a strange situation. Football does take you, take you to some crazy places, and I'm glad we uh, we ended up in New Zealand, and, and we absolutely love it. So we'll be safe. And so, you obviously, you started your career in in cold and rainy, wet old England, and you've you've played for Barbados, which is the polar opposite in terms of climate. And now you're back in Wellington, which is, I guess, a little more like a little more like the UK. How has it just been travelling around the world and playing in these amazing places and experiencing international football as well? Yeah, it's something I never thought would happen. Um, you know, as a kid, I didn't really think I'd make it as a professional. So um, that was nice in itself. But to be able to travel to all these different places, like you said, you know, representing my country and football has given me so much. So you know, like I said, it's a decent run, seventeen odd years, and and I've had a really good time doing it. Met some great people and and go away with some really good memories. And what would you describe as, I guess, your sort of top two or three moments in your career? Um, obviously, the FA Cup final is pretty massive. Um, with Millwall, um, and then with Sheffield getting promoted to the Premier League, which is something I always dreamed of. And probably from a Wellington point of view, the, the first year I came out was, was probably the highlight of my career. It was my best season from a personal point of view, and, and the boys were great, really helped me settle in, and, and I thought we were excellent that year, and we were one game away from the from the grand final. The game at, at home against Newcastle in front of a full house was just uh, brilliant, and whenever I watch clips of that, it actually makes my hair stand on it's fair to say that you developed a bit of a cult following down here in Wellington, and I'm sure all the Phoenix fans will be saddened by this news, but are you going to hope to sort of remain uh, involved with the club in some way or another? Yeah, I might have to have a little break from that for now. Um, I'm going to go off and do some other things. But I mean, I've already spoken with Ernie and, and the club, and I think they're keen to, to get me back in some capacity at some point. I think I've still got plenty to offer um, you know, around the club, and I think there's plenty of things I can do. So... We'll definitely look at that um, down the line. Um, I'm probably going to take a little bit of time off now just to you know, sort my head out and go on with the next part of my career and, and we'll talk down the line. 
Yeah, absolutely. And life after football, I guess that's the contemplation now. What do you think you're, you're going to do with uh, some spare time? Oh, well, the, the timing's great, actually, because this morning I've announced my retirement, and uh, I'm just on my way to um, the airport to fly down to Nelson. It's the first night of my new academy down there. So, um, you know, I'm straight into the next part, straight into the coaching, um, and it's something I'm looking forward to. Eiffel scored 33 goals during his five seasons with the Phoenix. And that's extra time for this week. Feedback is welcome via email at sport at radionz.co.nz, and you can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And... Don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.